Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, guys, we're sitting down today with Mark Carlton. He is owner of Native by Carlton, so that's a, basically Carlton Calls. They've been out forever. Wayne Carlton is a literal legend. If you don't know who Wayne Carlton is, stop what you're doing and Google him and go watch him shoot a 400-inch bull out of a tree stand. Uh, he's got the best bear hunting videos back in the day, like calling in bears. And his son is a badass firefighter, phenomenal elk hunter and caller. And we have him on here today. He does have a discount code. I'm just going to get right to it. I have nothing to do with this discount code. He just offered it live on the pod. So if you need any elk calls from Native, it's the discount code is elk shape. That's what he made it. And it's 35% off. Uh, no kickback to me, nothing. Just a, a throwback to y'all for your support. So if you want to get those, uh, they have great calls too. Um, I run Phelps mostly, but I, I really like Mark. I've known him a long time. This is a fun podcast. He's a first responder. He's a father. He's a badass hunter. We're going to talk about business, the calls, how they got made, his dad, everything. It's a great listen. Separations in the preparation. Here we go. Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast Season 6 with your host, Dan the Fitness Man. Thank you for tuning in. We are excited to have you. This is the podcast that is dedicated to hard work, disciplined decisions, and year-round training in the pursuit of the best possible version of ourselves. We leverage elk hunting to create a pathway. We understand that time is finite and we cannot squander a second. We must be leaders at our home. We understand that faith is our number one priority. Then family, then fitness, then health, then wealth. Our year round disciplined decisions help us leave a legacy for our family to follow. You will leave here motivated, inspired, and educated. We bring on a wide variety of guests, subject matter experts, so that you can tune in, get what you need to get, and continue on your journey. We are blessed to call ourselves Elk Hunters. Season 6, here we go. Mark Carlton, it's been a minute. What's up, man? 
a minute's right. Man, we were, I know we were just talking before we got going on stuff. Update me on you a little bit. Like you were really getting rolling, what, five years ago? Uh, you know, I don't know, man. I, so in 2006, I went to my first archery trade show and, um, I got hooked up with Bowhunter Magazine and Bowhunter Magazine TV. I did some guest appearances on their show, got a column, wrote for some other pubs, you know, pre-social. And then I think my first, like, my first go was uh, starting Train to Hunt in 2010 with a buddy. We did Train to Hunt for a couple years, and then uh, we kind of broke up. He took over. I uh, took on two gyms. So yeah, I started CrossFit gyms in 2008. Uh, one one failed. One I had to bounce on, and the other one thrived. So I kept the one that was thriving, and then I started editing for a couple hunting shows on the Outdoor Channel as just a contract editor, video editor. And then 2013, I started Elk Shape. Got that all trademarked and stuff and started just blogging and vlogging and YouTubing. And then this is year six of the podcast. So whatever year that was, we got got serious about podcasting. And then I think 2019, I sold my gym and went into Elk Shape full time as a, let's call it a digital creator. I love the word influencer. I'm joking. I hate that word. But uh, so currently right now, I just... Uh, I do YouTube, I do podcasts, I do um, social, Instagram, Facebook, I work with companies, and all of that I just said doesn't really matter. All I really care about besides faith and family is elk hunting. Yep. So, how about you, man? Well, uh, last time I saw y'all was, I think I've, I, I might have been with Mike Deming of Sportsman's News, and I might, somehow I crossed paths with you and your dad. It's been that long, I can't remember. Honestly, the last time I saw you, I know we've met before. So we had, we sold, Carlton's Calls got sold to HS in 2000, right? Remember that? And yep. then um, after that, I kind of checked out for a little while. <clears throat> I filmed for quite, yeah, you know, for like Bushnell Secrets of the Hunt, Dave Watson and those guys, freelanced a little bit, traveled around a bunch, and then uh, got settled down, got married, and then we started, remember Camo West? Yes. We, start, we, we started a camouflage company for a while, lost literally like a million dollars. And then that catapulted me off in the left field and ended up at the firehouse. So I've, I've been fire department for 11 years now. Native, we rebooted. So Native is back underneath, you know, basically the Carlton family. Um, HS, I think it's on its, man, I want to say they are on their at least third set of owners. They're over at G, uh, GSM now. And we are still in really good relations with those guys at this point. But there was a big fracture there and a big shift. Native got kind of birthed from that. And we, dad's health was so Wayne, Wayne's been getting beat up by Parkinson's and some dementia here. So he's almost 80 now. Um, so we kind of gave him a place to hang his hat for a while. And then we, and in that time frame, we're about seven years into it. Natives kind of become something now. We've, we figured some stuff out, done a bunch of new, new design stuff. And it's kind of, you know, was just going to be a garage project. Now we're, now we're a business again. So we're kind of at that corner year again of making a right turn and going forward and figuring more stuff out. Mm, dude, yeah. I mean, dude, your dad casts a pretty big shadow. Like in my in my eye, he's kind of an icon in my in my world. Like I've like a pioneer. Um, it sucks to hear he's got Parkinson and dementia, man. That's just like a slippery slope that I don't want anyone to have to go down. 
He is, you know, and, and you mentioned you're at the firehouse for a while. So you, you've had a glimpse of what that looks like kind of on a daily basis, just running patients and whatnot. Um, it's one of those deals it is, but at the same time, man, that guy, like you said, he paved some road for us. You know, he was one of those industry guys. You know, I think you and I are in that. If you look all the way back from Compton to Pope and Young to Fred, like you and I are like in that fifth generation now with the hunting industry started from. Um, so he was definitely a road paver in that process. And, you know, it's, it's cool to look back. We've been doing, he's up for the Hall of Fame this year. <clears throat> I need to check on, see where the voting's at. I know he's in the top three, but, uh, you know, we've been doing a lot of history going back, looking at some stuff and even sitting down with him. It's, it's dementia's funny because he's, his short-term memory's crap, but man, he can still tell you, like, you know, he's, he's still, he still talks about the first diaphragm he saw, which had to be like late 1950s, which was, at the time, it was an uncle that was sitting in a corner yelping out of his mouth, and nobody knew how he was doing it. And so the first diaphragm called the dad ever saw was it was a piece of condom that was sandwiched in between a lead top to a toothpaste tube that they had chiseled out into a clamp in a horseshoe, like what we still use today, wrapped up in duct tape. You know, so he's been around that long in the industry, and to be able to bring over the first you know, his biggest claim to fame was bridging that gap and bringing out the first diaphragm elk call, you know, into the market. And from there forward, man, it just, that dude got hit by lightning though, too. Like career-wise, when you really replay his events and the people he got tied into, I mean, man, his story was, I mean, it, it was, it was special. I mean, he, he definitely had things lined up for him. He took advantage of him and he said yes to everything. But at the same time, man, it's kind of it's kind of cool to look back at all that. He he was never a guy to say no. He always was here. Hold my beer. I'm in. You know, that's cool. Yeah. If those listening don't know, uh, look up Wayne Carlton. I still own well, no more VHSs, but I got like a library of DVDs. And I have one in particular that he made that I actually showed a buddy at bear camp a couple years ago. Uh, it's kind of a cool story. And I'm going to give you the condensed version. My buddy Jake, I told him, dude, you can call bears. And here's the proof. And I put in a Wayne Carlson DVD. And you guys got to go find this footage. Um, and he's calling in mega giant Colorado bears into uncomfortable distances with his predator calls and filming it on a probably a giant old VHS camera. And it is some of the most epic shit you've ever seen in your life. And you know that. And this was in Colorado's heyday when you guys could bait, you guys could actually hunt them in the spring. And uh, that same bear camp week, we brought a bear call out and we literally called our first effort ever. We called in a bear, came running in 80 yards. We'd never done that before. And then that evening, Jake called in a boar uh, away from a sow and I shot it with a bow on video we put a youtube video out but i put a couple clips in that youtube video of your dad's dvd just like i mean you grew up with him like that so like you're probably just like yeah that's just what we do but it's pretty cool you take it for granted <clears throat> and as i've gotten older so i'm 47 this year i'll be 48 growing up in the industry like i, I remember being my first calling contest at eight years old in 1983 you know that this is all i've known so you do you have that father-son dynamic that kind of robs you from that outside view of what wayne did but at the same time, you know, you're also exposed to things that, man, you talk about taking things for granted over the years. Just the exposure to people I had in the industry and not just like industry guys, but guys that were really, really good hunters. They were top shelf callers and, and just outdoorsmen in general. And the stuff I absorbed from that without even trying to, you know, I wasn't even putting effort into, to learn. it was just there. 
that uh, it's pretty priceless now when you look back at it you know all, all those mentorings you know dad that part part of his story really goes back to the turkey side so he started the, the first turkey federation chapter in gainesville in 75 well turkey federation started in 73 so he was exposed to the rob kecks the carl browns the james earl Kim, all those guys that built the turkey federation back in the early days and then those relationships fostered in and, and mentored him into public speaking and doing the call stuff and um, just some of that went, but all that history of calling what he had learned from those guys, he just kept manifesting it, nurturing it and putting it into different things. And, you know, he didn't want to call just elk in, you know, he wanted to call in bears. He wanted to call in mountain lions. He wanted to call in gators. He was always coming up with something that we were going to call something in on. And that, that bear video. So we've actually just downloaded that to the YouTube section for native. Um, so that is online and available. It's been super hard man i've been trying to chase down all the original footage because that was shot on that was shot on the old beta you know those big i mean like damn bazookas man they're like 30 pounds the batteries are six pounds and you got to hire a linebacker to carry the damn thing in hunt season we had the hardest time doing that video because the camera guys they were just camera guys they weren't hardcore hunters by any means man a bear would start running into us and they would just lose it so you know you'd be there they they're they've, they've got everything in focus and then man as that bear gets closer that it just goes to trees and brush and <laughs> they just checked out and left man so that was always it's funny how he always put people in really uncomfortable situations you know <laughs> where everybody would just lose their crap trying to you know that's just not a natural thing to sit there and have a bear run at you the fire department you mentioned that so 11 year 10 year pretty big shift from you going from the outdoor space to that dude that job's a grind man like when i did it for a couple years i enjoyed the guys i worked with and the brotherhood but i just and i worked on elk shape all when we weren't being called out i was yeah either working out or editing a podcast or youtube video or answering emails so it was kind of cool but dude it seemed like the second my head hit the pillow that's when the that's when the call volume just started cranking and I just hated the inconsistent sleep and then the hangover, which is where you're at today. Like tell everybody the good, the bad, the ugly of being a firefighter. Well, I mean, you're right. When I look at the job as a whole, <clears throat> and I think, I think you hit a certain part in your career within a couple years in of like, I think they say one in 16 calls is a true emergency so that means 15 calls and and say you run 30 calls a set so we run 4896s we're, we're on for two days i just got off this morning at seven so then we got four days but you know how that is man like you, you run calls hard to the wall for 48 hours you're running on sleep deprivation by the third day you're just basically hung over and it's funny because when i started the firehouse it's like man two days on four days off i'll have all kinds of time to rest up and i can lift more i can work out it'll be you know it'll be gravy and it's so not gravy. It's one of the most demanding jobs by far mentally and physically. So it's, it definitely, man, I, it, it's, I, I love what it's brought me as far as ex bad experiences you go through and the value and quality of, of the way you start looking at life as far as what matters. It comes yeah. down to the guys first, comes down to family first, comes down to stuff at home. Cause all you see is everybody's four alarm fires. I mean, it's every call is somebody's bad day, you know, every single one of them. So it's, you learn to juggle all that, but I'm like, I said, I'm 11 years in, I'm kind of like you a little bit, you know, I'm not, I could probably leave it at this point. You know, I've done my time. I've, I've seen my things. I got my appreciations. I've learned a ton, but I, I could step away pretty easy. And I may, we'll kind of see where native goes with stuff, but it's, you know, it's definitely been in my head. 
what I love though, is to be able to have that time off. You know, I've, I've got a tag this year and I've got 16 days off of just me in the woods. And, and that's awesome. You know, the schedule that's priceless. Is, is pretty priceless. That but is priceless. It's, it's been a good experience, man. I, I have no complaints whatsoever. Okay. Uh, what are you in Colorado then? So we're still in Montrose, Colorado. That's where we were based from. Um, we were here. I think we moved out in 75, 76. Um, game call started in 81 ish and uh, really got to roll in 83 and from 83 on, I think by 85, 86 Wayne also. So his background was pest control as a kid growing up. Um, he worked for pest control company and they used to come out of Colorado on just, you know, group hunting trips, just time for the boys. And after about his third trip out here, he pretty much packed it up and said, man, I'm, I'm throwing everybody in no job, nowhere, I, but I'm, I'm gone. And, and it, we ended up here. So we're we're still here. We've been here since day one, and and Montrose is growing. You know, I think we were twenty thousand people. We're forty five thousand countywide now, and they expect another thirty thousand people in the next fifteen years. We're we're getting a bunch of growth, man. Like it's a little scary. Even going outdoors, probably the last four years with COVID has been pretty stupid. It's been pretty crazy. The state's gonna, you know, everybody's bitching about <clears throat> the tags and wolves and all the other things, but man, my biggest concern is just the people moving here. And the amount of tags. So when I graduated, Dan, in 90, I graduated in 93, we had around a little over 7,000 archery tags sold for the state. And we're like at least double that, if, if not. I mean, we're getting closer to trip. I need to pull numbers on it again. I haven't run down in a while, but it's, I know we're at least double that now. So when we start looking at people in state and hunting, they're going to have to do something. We're just getting too much volume. Yeah, I think they are going to do something. The writing's on the wall, man. Um, a lot of people have asked me, so that's why I bring it up, why don't you hunt Colorado? So for the record, I have hunted Colorado over the counter, 2013 shot a bull. I have zero desire to drive by all these states with elk to go rub elbows with unlimited over-the-counter non-residents. Uh, and I know that's going to change. I mean, that's just not... That's just not fair to the residents who pay this, the tax in, in state. So it's been cool. It's not going to last and everything changes. And when we can get our head wrapped around that, that everything changes, appreciate that we got to experience it early on. But uh, I have no desire to have 45 trucks at a trailhead. Yep. And I know there's a lot of guys who are in that group that despises folks like me who potentially shine a light on hunting or shine a light on education on hunting, make visual content and post pictures of animals that are dead um, for strangers to see on the internet. There's a whole, there's a whole slew of dudes that despise guys like me. I kind of have the cliche clapbacks is like, dude, I don't want it to be easy. That's why I do archery elk hunting. I like the com competition against the animal. And honestly, I like competing against other hunters. Like I got to wake up earlier. I got to outthink them. I got to do more different things and be creative. I didn't say go deeper because everyone's pretty fit now, but I just got to, and I don't want to say think outside the box. I want to say like evolve, hunt harder or hunt more intelligently, or I don't know. I still think it's possible to have success on public land, despite the tremendous onset of new hunters or increased population or limited opportunity well and the way i look at it you know the first half of that is is just the exposure right people get and man i totally get guys in the woods not wanting more guys in the woods but at the same time you know i've looked at what is the effect of a joe rogan and rhinella's popularity cam's blowing it up 
those guys are probably the three best voices we've had for the hunting industry ever. And if we want, and, and I don't know those guys, I, I may love my him. I have no idea. They may be awesome. Um, they probably are. But the the way I look at it really objectively is they're the best voices we've had ever. They're exposing hunting in a positive light to millions of people that we've never been able to do it before. It's going to drive our numbers up, but it is also probably what's going to save our hunting long-term because there's enough anti-hunting movements. There's enough negative press. There's enough craziness out there that you need those voices and that exposure to help preserve hunting. And I think those that's what those guys are truly doing at the end of the day. And we can't have one without the other. I think we're going to have to ha make some concessions. I, I think we're going to have more people. We're going to have to have draws in Colorado. We're going to have to limit people. But at the same time, if if we can do that and still save hunting and preserve it in, in a positive light, I, dude, I, I think it's a necessary evil. I, I think I think it has to. Um, a lot of guys don't want to view it at that. They're being a little selfish, I think. And the man, I just don't want people in my hunting area to totally get it. I, you know, if you ask me where where my tags at this year, it's in the woods by a tree. Not telling you. Um, but at the same time, man, it's you got to look at the big picture. You got to be objective about it. And and guys can't. They can't get too frustrated with that. They need to look at not just them, but their kids behind them and their grandkids, what's going to be left. And it starts with really good objective opinion and people doing it in a positive light, you know? So that's, yeah. And as far as hunting, you know, it's, <laughs> I, I'm like you, I, I hunt better, be a little bit smarter. Um, physically, I, I don't know. I still see every year, man, like, so Montrose is, we're right out the door of unit 62 and 61. So unit 62 alone, man, is, it's the biggest unit in the state or damn near one of them. Um, it's the busiest one. It's 800,000 acres. So it's bigger than Rhode Island and it's completely public access. You can come out here, OTC it, go wherever you want, highly accessible, it's close to town and it gets ransacked. You know, there's still, dude, every year somebody still moves a 350 out of there. Everybody's still punching their tags. There's a ton of habitat there's a ton of elk but it's still you still got to go a little bit man it's, it's a physical deal and i still think guys when they come out hunting they really need to establish what their expectations for that hunt is because i because i think that's the first question what, what what kind of hunt do you want what kind of experience do you want and start breaking it down because even a, a guided hunt is vastly different on how they run are they running private ground are they running are they guiding on public ground which is an utter crap show you know how does that look is it going to be backpack is it going to be on horses is it going to be drop camp know what your expectations are but at the same time too it's you know i see guys showing up all the time there's i swear there's a tree stand in the back of every truck which i get the theory on it and, and i don't disapprove of it but at the same time like you know what well as i do to get that stand to the wallow that you know about up in that drainage you got to be the toughest guy on the planet, man. You're you're not going to pack a ladder stand in three hours <laughs> before you start hunting. So I, I mean, I get it, but maybe those guys need to look at that more objectively. Go to a tree saddle, change what they do, hunt hunt better, hunt smarter. And I still swear, man, guys are never. And I'm not one to. I, I stay super physical, um, and I do it to be outdoors and to elk hunt and to do all the other stuff that we do. Everything we we do is outside. But guys, I don't think are ever fully prepared for the physical shellacking they're going to take on an elk hunt. 
you know, I see guys barely crawling out of canyons over in 62 that are not deep canyon and it's all they can do to get out of it. And I always process it. I was like, Hey man, what if you kill an elk down there and you got to now move 225 pounds of elk meat out? Like it's a thing. And, and guys get out here. And I think almost always, once they get out here, they look at the enormity of trying to hunt any mountain is like, Holy crap, man, I wasn't prepared for this. Like I thought I was, but this is big. This is in another level. I mean, it is getting to be elk hunting is definitely getting, getting to be a destination hunt. Yeah. And elk hunting is the art of preparation. And so we can always count on similar statistics, regardless of what's going on. Um, when I, when it comes to success rates, I mean, so let's say truly success rates probably hover around five to 10% somewhere in there. What's going on with the other 90%? Like it could be, I mean, I've been a 90 percenter, uh, for four years straight. So I can tell you all the dumb shit I did. The art of preparation is something these 90% are probably missing a component or all of them. And it starts with like realistically, understanding like you said expectations of like elk hunting is not all these bugles and you getting in on elk it's actually 99% hiking and covering ground for that 1% moment of being in tight with elk or whatever for most places out west and I think that people overlook the fact that they live in four walls where a refrigerator is within feet of a couch, which is in feet of a bed, which is in feet of running water. Then you get to the mountains where running water and a water source and where are you going to camp? And you're not going to sleep in a bed. And you certainly don't have a refrigerator 10 feet away. And then you're going to go live and try to thrive in someone else's turf, someone else's home and try to outthink them, outsmart them. I, I don't know, man. I still say like, Elk hunting's the ultimate equalizer of a, a series of preparation and art of being doped in on your weapon. But even all that, Mark, you still got to have a little bit of lady luck, right? Absolutely. No, it's still, you know, you talk about, <laughs> so th this year, I, I actually bought a voucher last year. I had one come across my table and it's like, man, I don't want to pay that much, but you know, I'm broke working three jobs still in the same deal, man. I'm stretched out, but I went ahead and wrote the check just knowing the changes in Colorado coming and the popularity of the unit that I'm in. <clears throat> and uh, I still like, I've called, I called it my first bull at 14. I mean, I've been doing it a little bit and I still got into stuff. Now I haven't been on the trigger for a few years. I've been guiding. I, I've, I've turned into like a guide, man. That, that's what I, I take all my fire department guys. You know, I get picky when I do draw a tag and, and I don't, I haven't put anything on the ground in a while. So last year I was like, cool, don't have anybody with me. I'm on my own. I can just blaze and go and I don't, I, I'm, I'm loose. And uh, I still was amazed at, I got on on some elk. I had an elk convergence come in about three different groups. All hell broke. You know, one of those deals, like honestly, lifetime experience type deals come mm -hmm. in. I had a 380 in front of me. I had a handful of 360s. I had like, my brain was exploding. Like this doesn't happen in Colorado very often. And, and my goal when I was going on the, when I was driving was like, all right, man, 300 or better, I'm, I'm shooting. And so then all that shit went out the window as yeah. soon as you get into that stuff, you know, <laughs> plan <laughs> over. <laughs> and uh, so long story short, I, I chased everything down the herd fractures and they're busting off loose. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. 
If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. And a 360 out of that herd stops. And, dude, they're like cutting country. They are gone. My hunt is over. I've just kicked my own ass. I haven't eaten for six hours. I've got rain on. I haven't put rain gear. I'm way from, like, I'm in a bad spot. And a 360 whips around, comes directly back to me, gives a shot, and I miss at, I don't even know what the range was. Um, but you know what I mean? It's still, it, that was not an opportunity that I did with skill set and calling and everything that I've done. That was strictly just luck, man. That was just an opportunity that popped up for for me, just being there and putting in the time and moving my feet forward. That, that's all that was. You know, and, and even dad, I, I laugh, his two biggest trophies. So he's got... I think it's still like number 14 in the world. So he's got a, a moose out of BC that the year he killed it, they killed a number one and, and number two that year. But it was uh, it was like day 14 of the hunt. And it was literally the day before, man. He's like wasting arrows, trying to get through willows, shooting at like just a raghead. I mean, he's shooting at, he's just punching his tag at this point. And then the last day, you know, he did, ends up not killing. Then the last day they call in a world record moose, you know, he was just, it was 14 days of just kicking his own ass and the same deal on, on well, that, that bull behind me, you know, that's where he shoots it out of at the water hole. This podcast is brought to you by Matthews incorporated vortex optics, Onyx hunt peaks, equipment, Kufaru international Magview wilderness athlete, buck knives, crispy hunting, stealth cam, marsupial born primitive, Baku, Black Ovis, and hard work. Back to the podcast. So he's yeah. with Philip Vanderpool on that. They're down there at the Gila. I think like 16B, if that's right. And uh, same deal, man. He's telling Philip, it's like, hey, last minute, last day, we've got like an hour left. I'm going to shoot whatever comes in. 400 inch bull, you know, but how, how, how many years and how much time goes into that of being in the woods enough to create enough opportunity? I think that's, you know, I'd like to know how many trips do you got to go to the woods before something comes together? You know, is it half yeah. a dozen trips? Is it 10 trips? I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, like, like no matter what you're hunting, I mean, it's, it's time put in definitely equates success out. I figured out a long time ago that it's time. And so at a young, relatively young age of 21 is when I shot my first bull, first year elk hunting, and then picked up the bow and it got. It got significantly difficult on public land for the next four years. I didn't kill an elk. And dude, Mark, I had like, I literally had the dream schedule where my fall college didn't start till like end of September. And I would talk to my professors and tell them I'm going to miss the first week or first two weeks. I need the work ahead. And they were cool. And then I would talk to my employer and I'd be like, I need this whole month off. And I was a trainer. So I had 
basically my clients were technically my bosses, but I still had bosses at the gym that were like, I don't know. And I was like, well, um, I'll quit. I literally will quit and not come back. And they were like, oh shit, he's not bluffing. Um, okay, I guess we'll make it work. And so like, I've had an abundance of time that has always been the formula. And even to this day, I risk a lot of, I miss a lot of my kids life in September. Like I don't see my kids in September. It's super hard, but I know how fast September goes by and it still takes me just time grinding it out every day and being out there. And then you're right. Maybe once in a blue moon, you'll get the convergence and have an experience of a lifetime and that's what keeps us going right yeah last year was a crazy year i was like i said do it to, to do it completely by by myself for the first time in a long time um i haven't done that since man since like my high school years of not having any responsibilities other than myself and you know still i and it was it was just the whole the whole year was just really had some great experiences that you know and i ended up shooting a decent bull and i laughed too because i'm I'm packing out beat to death, a horrible down timber with all the beetle kill we're still struggling with. And, you know, that deal too, I get back to the trailhead where it breaks off where now it's going to be easy going. And I literally look to my left and there's about a 360 ish laying in the trail, 15 yards. I could have killed with a rock while I have a rack on my back, you know, it's just in the spot. I never see a bull that big, you know, it's just, it was, it was a great year, but you got to put the time in. And, you know, so it comes down to like what happens with the out of state guys. Even in state guys, for this, for that matter, how do you maximize your time? Because I can tell you, man, like I've been in one unit for a long time now. Every every time I get a tag there, whether I draw it or you know if I can ever buy one, I, it's fixing get really steep here. In fact, I already did this year. I have learned that in any unit, man, the elk are like in half a dozen places in the entire unit. They're over here. They're over here. They're over here. And I, I've done that by trying to fly with just private guys in the summertime. And just looking at summer grounds and, you know, usually you can find a guy to fly for like 200 bucks. Those guys usually just want gas money to go fly. Yep. So a lot of times we'll go jump in the, in the plane and just get up above it and go look. And man, it saves you years and years of time of scouring that. Cause there's no way I'm, I, I still look at where I primarily hunt and every year I get into new stuff, but it's deep and it's intimate and it's boots on the groundwork. But the way I found that was literally we're like in a plane and we're like looking at another area and we just happened to fly over one and it's like, hey, there's 200 headed elk out there. And I kept that in my brain. And about three years later, I bumped over, had a, again, a, that year in particular, we had a crazy year. I think, I think I had 17 days in country. Uh, we hunted off horseback that year, but I think in 17 days, we called the 21 bulls. Crazy year. Crazy year. Wow. But mm. same deal, man. It, it just, it was a $200 air, airplane ride that, that showed me that. So for the out-of-state guys that, that are coming in, you know, how do you find those airplanes to do that? Um, you know, you, crop dusting is a big deal out here. I usually start with those guys. And every crop duster knows everybody has a pilot's license or a small plane. or And you just start chasing names down and try to jump one and go. So it's, there's different ways around. I know that seems a little bit extreme, but to me, that's normal. That's like I said, man, I all come. That's what I do. So a plane ride ain't a big deal. to me. I think that's a pro tip. Honestly, my neighbor's got a plane. Um, my nephew's 17 and he's already flying. Like he works at the airport by my house and he's already sending me scouting pictures of a couple areas in here. And I do think that's, that's next level. Um, and then when you can, yeah, aerial advantage, insane. Um, I guess we better get into tactics because you know, you do own a call company. I don't call a lot anymore, man, on public land, but I certainly have to to locate elk, uh, you know, 
especially in country that's not glassable. Last year I called in, I'm just talking elk kills, is the one, I killed three bulls last year. The third one was a solo like on them at first light, 11 a.m. is when I killed them. And it was just a whole song and dance and a solo call in. I don't always do that, Mark. I don't. But, you know, I just kind of like let the scenario dictate what, you know. And then obviously I, I grew up hunting North Idaho. So you only call in North Idaho. There's no glassing. Um, it's all vocalization. So I feel like everyone's got to at least know how to make the basic sounds, especially noobs. There's always going to be a couple magical days where it's like, if you're crazy not to vocalize, you're going to kill something if you know what you're doing and you know what they're saying. So let's get into your guys' sounds and calls. I'm assuming you have some stuff there that you want to showcase. A little bit. Um, you know, more of it too, though, comes down to like, I think you need to be adequate enough. I, and I think cadence outweighs high, high quality as far as like bugle and stuff. Because every elk has its own voice, man. Like, I mean, you know how it is. I mean, if you you go out and I mean... Like last year, I mean, I was looking at a dozen bulls in, in a herd. Every one of them sounded different. So I, I don't really caught up on that. Your your voice, whatever you produce is your voice. Um, you know, if, if you have enough talent to mix that up and change that, that's great. But don't obsess on it. Cadence and sounding like an elk is is most important, I think. Listening to that is like, well, how do I do that? What do I listen to? What do I study? Listen to elk. Like even over people, man. Like jay jay scott's pod you know his deal that he does for instagram he's got so many damn bugling elk that he posts regularly man i i like save all those i listen to him all the time i listen to cow talk all the time I, you know i video wildlife that guy does a good job he's always got bugling elk and vocalizations i'm always i'm always saving those things to, to practice from so that's what i try to emulate first and foremost but i think too man it, it's picking your battle so like if you're 62 colorado there's a lot of people, so my tactics are going to change quite a bit. I'm going to bugle more early, early, like in the dark, like at 4 a.m., because they'll still be vocal then. But as the day progresses, there gets to be so many damn people in the woods that they shut off. So now I'm hunting funnels and I'm doing more spot and stock type tactic. Um, even last year, even though I was in a very, very remote unit um, with nobody around me, like, and elk acted like elk are supposed to act like, you know, they're not pressured up They're They're behaving normally. That's what I usually try to find. But at the same time, you know, you just got to be self-aware enough to know when you need to switch tactics. I can tell you calling last year, no matter how good you are, I ended up taking the tube, stick it in my pack, stuck a reed in my mouth, knocked an arrow and was in, that was it. That was my tactic was not calling. It was just slip and slide to try to get a shot. Um, cause it was just, there was so much chaos that it, it was a moot point at that at that juncture. Um, but I think going on, you know, guys are always wanting to know, especially guys that are learning to call. Most guys are, you know, what's your opening sequence. So I live, I live with like a, uh, still an external read. I, I call more elk with an external read that real high pitchy whine than I do anything. Still, I, I can bugle like a fiend. I, I can do it all. But at the same time, if I, for like 10 bucks, this thing is, we call in a lot of elk, but, but my opening calls will be something like this and that's it. I'll hang that note. Like that's a little pronounced and I pronounce it and lengthen that on purpose. So it just hangs out there sound wise for a little bit. So they can really hear that. Like it's not a real soft, subtle cow call. I, I use that almost as a location type thing. My opening location is not a bugle and I don't like giving this information away. But my, my opener is always an external cow call. Yeah. So that's what you do too? 
I do too. Um, so, but, but this is going to be the switch over. So when I'm calling and moving on elk, and, and so let me go back. So I'll do that with an opening. That'll be my lead. If I don't hear anything on that, I may try that one more time. You yeah. know, I'll hit that cow call one more time. I'll give it time. And I, when I say time too, like, dude, if I'm in an area that I know there's our elk there somewhere generally, like I will sit for 45 minutes yep. and just listen. Because a lot of times, like, I, I mean, you'll be surprised how it takes them a minute to warm up. It takes a minute for them to, to make that decision to, to make a response. And sometimes it'll be super subtle, but I'm, I'm very cautious about moving too far too fast. If you're in a unit, there's nobody around and you feel like there's elk there, there's good water source, like everything's there, but elk, sit on that thing, man, give it some time. Um, and then I'll go into some bugles and do, do, and do some different things. And I, and I'll start light and fluty and high pitchy kind of a location bugle. And if that doesn't work, I will always end it with something nasty and gnarly too. Like I'll, I'll, I'll just build those up from, but my psychology is I'll start easy and then I'll build up to it as I go. Just so I don't, I, I want to make sure I flip over all those zones because I've had too many instances where I played really, really nice and done the nice fluty thing. And then like, I, I remember an instance I was in Silverton one year during muzzleload season and we'd called in a hunter and I did the jackass thing. I'm like, I'm going to call this guy in and jack with him. And, <laughs> and in doing so, like I, dude, I got a stick. I dove into a tree and I'm, I'm like lip buzzing and competition level shit. And I, I'm like going for it. And I'll be damned if an elk didn't bugle down below me that had never answered to everything. And we'd been there, man, for like an hour. Yeah. And, it was going gnarly that made that transition. I don't start there, but I, I make sure to at least cast that chance out there that maybe that's what's going to click over. Yeah, you're changing lures. That's all you're doing. And, and it's like a fishing analogy is so perfect. You're sending out all these casts and you build it up. I don't recommend starting out with the lip ball, buzziest, nastiest, chuckle grunt thing you know to do. That's kind of like your back pocket. And the other thing I do, man, is like, it's just what I do, but like if I can get a bull to respond to that external and and maybe he's not that far away, man, I don't want to just go right into a bugle because he bugled. I kind of save that bugle as like a, a card I don't want to quite play yet. Maybe I'm going to like move in a little closer. Maybe he'll pipe off on his own. Maybe he doesn't, but maybe I hit him with that external and he bounces right on top of me again. I'm like, oh, once I get within like, Let's say I hate giving exact yardage, but let's just say once I feel like I'm in tight with his bubble, I might introduce a bugle and that could just change the whole vibe, which is always good to have a vibe where the bull wants to kill you. You know, that's always a good vibe. And, and, and I agree with the terminology bubble. So that's the way I view it too. Um, one of the other things I really do switch over on is I'll do that as a location bugle. But when I get close to bulls, and I, I think so at a thousand yards, say you get something to hit. I try to like cool my jets from a thousand yards into maybe 200 or 150 if I can. I mean, you get in that locating and no, wanting to know where they're at, that, that whole situation. But I like to get as close as I can without calling a whole lot. I don't want to lose them, but I, but I want to be smart about it too. And as I get in that 200 yards, man, I'm in my binoculars more. I'm paying attention. I'm trying not to bump. But I want to get close enough that when I change tactics and I hit him again calling, that I haven't been jacking with him the whole way. Because I, I call it indirect pressure. When you're calling, even though they can't see you, 
that is still pressure. You are still putting pressure on them in some form. And I'm not so much worried about putting pressure on the bulls. I'm really worried about putting pressures on those cows. So when I get closer into that bubble, and as soon as I get underneath that, you know, what, what I'm hoping is a 200-yard mark, I'll switch to a really light, like, calf call, something non – calves get away with murder on the mountain, man. They can Amen. do anything. Um, so I, I have found that is way less evasive. And I, I think if you go in there blowing a hard cow call, sounding like a really big, mature cow generally, you're going to take those other cows and you're going to shove them off. And they're going to pack up and they're going to take your bull with them. Um, I think bulls don't leave hunters near as much as the cows do. I think they pack their bags, man, and they leave. And the boys just, the real thing's better than a phone call, dude. They're, that's just the way it works. And that, that's the way that I view that. You've got that's to. That's well said. <laughs> you've got to. You've got to use some common sense there. Um, you know, we've got six million turkey hunters, so I, I feel like a lot of those those guys back east coming. You know, they hunt white till they hunt they hunt turkey. Those guys are familiar with those tactics. I think it's the same thing on on, on turkeys. Gobblers don't leave you. They follow their hens. Those you push hens off. Those hens pack up. They don't want the competition. They don't want to fight over breeding. They pack up. They leave. Gobblers gobblers go with them. Um, it's the same thing on elk, man. I, I'm very cautious about doing that. I'm not afraid once I get in there to bugle and do that. And I, I play it, you know, I play it by ear. But again, I, I start off easy and then I work into it. But I give them time. But it's, I think guys really screw up in there blowing really big, beefy sounding cow calls first. Because I, I think they just intimidate those cows and, and those cows leave, yeah. What Mark just said, I got to distill this down to people. I got to translate for you, Mark, because you're literally offering up information that is gold. So this is the difference between, because I've had this happen. And what I'm about to say is like, it's going to work 60% of the time every time. The cows are bedded with their bull at 10 a.m. And by the way, I don't know why, but calves never seem to bed right with the herd. They're always somewhere. They always fringe bed, and then they don't know where everyone is, and then they're always doing, like you said, whatever they want on the mountain, Make like trying to – I hate calves ruin a lot of setups for me. My point is, is 10 a.m., the herd's bedded. They just got there. They just bedded. They're not comfortable. They're not like dug out, shade, whatever. You take that same herd and you sit on them for three additional hours. So 10 to 11, 11 to 12, 12 to 1. 1 o'clock you go into that bedroom and you're going to do these sounds and make these synthetic sounds to these elk. I think your odds are better because those cows are probably less stoked on getting up and leaving and find, you know, but I am 100% agreeance. It's not the bull. It's not the hens. It's the freaking ladies that leave. And you're like, what the hell? Why is everybody, why'd they leave? Did I make the wrong sound? Or you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm transparent as glass with the subtlety of a sledgehammer. I share everything, man. Like I'm a pants down. I'll tell you anything you want to know. Almost yep. other than like an X on the map. And even that, like I had a guy call me last year that had drawn a tag for his 13 year old kid in the unit where I was at. I literally put X on the map for that guy and gave him coordinates to where this is where you're going. Um, cool. so I, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm very forthcoming. There's nothing I'm not going to tell you. No, that's cool. Yeah, I do. I think you're right, man. That's the, uh, I think one skill set a guy needs to learn too, is to ask why, 
So it's, when you're in the woods and there's reactions or elk are moving through timber or, and I think this applies to whitetail too. And, and I, I thought about this question. This was, I was listening to Barry Winslow at <clears throat> one of his seminars years ago and Barry had, you know, that dude is just a whitetail murdering fool. And I can't think of anybody that spends more time in the woods than that guy. But yeah. you know, he made the comment. He says, I got really good at asking the question why things went the way that they went. And, and I think don't just take it for, you know, when you get an experience, when you get an encounter, start asking some questions and try, you know, start making reason to things and, and you'll start finding some patterns in, in the way stuff breaks down. And, and these are just patterns that I have found over the years, you know. You can go too hard on cow calls. Calf calls are, it's, it's, dude, it's like the 10-year-old bratty kid. Do you take them seriously? No, you just kind of shove them up because they're always doing crazy stuff. So I always approach it that way. I try not yeah. to get too, you know, I do. I, I, I think there's a lot of similarities in, in everything that we hunt, and I try to cross all that stuff over. I just try to absorb that information and think about it all. And, and even elk, elk are deer. So I, I find very, I find similarities in bedding issues and travel routes and behavior. And I mean, and guys, hey, 99% of our tags are whitetail guys. So don't, just because they're whitetail, don't dispute what you've learned on whitetail because it, it'll still hold some value on the elk side too. Yeah, I think the, the whitetail thing is true. I think one of the biggest things we've learned at doing these uh, elk-shaped camps for the last six years and having, I would say 70% attendees be whitetail based, which is not to be, I mean, that's to be expected is, um, they, I tell them this at camps and I also have a lot of guys that come to camps that have never elk hunted. So I'm like, all right, you're going to remember some of the stuff I told you after you screw it up and you're gonna be like, Oh, that's what Dan was talking about. So like, I want to get this out there. You are not a whitetail hunter when you're elk hunting in terms of worrying about scent as far as spraying down with scent and I know H and S used to make those wafers and shut up. Those don't work. I mean, you got to have the wind and then you got to have like the special deodorant and the scent killer spray. And then you're sneaking around, not trying to break a branch, dude, you're a freaking predator. The second you're sneaking, you're a mountain lion. Well, you're a bear. So elk hunting's loud and proud and you got to have the wind and you don't need to take a shower every day and you don't need to wash your clothes. That's like the one thing I wanted to touch on for whitetail hunters. What am I missing? No, I think you're, I think that's the hugest one. Um, I think two things is, you know, a, a guy back East, if he has 10,000 acres to hunt back East, that is a, holy crap. That is like forever out here. You and I will blow through 10,000 acres by noon. And, and then that's the reality is, is it's, Space out here is a big deal. I, I remember going back. I was on the first, <laughs> I was on the first elk hunt in Kentucky when the Elk Foundation transplanted that over. So I, I, I went over and guided that that first hunt, which was a crazy experience. But I laughed because I got there like at two a.m. and I'm up at six. I hadn't. I mean, I was ragged. I, at least I was young and, and tougher at the time. But I mean, they gave us our unit. Our unit was like fifteen hundred acres. I was like, holy hell, we are hosed, man. We were done by like nine o'clock. Like we were through that unit by nine o'clock. Fortunately, we were able to call an elk off some of the other units, but, and, and complete the hunt. But it was one of those deals. I was just, man, glad to be successful and get out of that situation because it was 1500, 1500 acres. Unit. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I said. And, and I've got like a brand new camera guy out of school. I got a brand new sound girl. Nobody's hunted before. And I got two rifle guys with a muzzle loader that aren't, you know what I mean? Like it was, you got a small platoon to go kill an elk. That's, I mean, it was one of those deals. I was so glad to get out of there with killing an elk. 
<laughs> no, but but, but vice versa, man, when you come out here, it's it's forever. So no know, knowing that, I mean, you're hunting a needle in a haystack, so you've you've got to be accountable for that and, and figure out what that is. Calling's a big piece of that. I, I think for us, man, that's the biggest thing on the calling deal, is it it gives us a, a direction to go. We can hunt water, right? We can hunt funnels and we can read the land a little bit there, but it's still not going to be as productive as if we can get somewhere where we can hear and see, you know, that, I think that's a big piece. Yeah. Cause you said something earlier in the pod that I was like, man, I hope people didn't miss that. But like you said, you got a big unit, but the elk are in like, you said, I don't know what percentage, but let's say 10 or 20% of the unit, they're in little pockets. So if you go into a, a mindset of like, I'm here, this is at least my vibe. I'm here to cross shit off the list. Like I literally think about elk hunting that way. I was like, I'm trying to figure out where not to go. So I'm just crossing off, sound checking, glassing, covering lots of real estate to find or eliminate down to where are these pockets that hold the elk and then do your berry and figure out and ask the question, why are these elk in these pockets? What is it about this terrain features that they like? How are they making a living there um, until, you know, the pressure comes? And then even then you have to figure out where they go. But even that, so you say that, and, and I'm thinking of a spot in particular that I hunt all the time. And, and as years go, I get one more ridge over. I learn a little bit more. You know where it's really at? It's between outfitters. So I have access on one side. I have an outfitter on the other. It's the drainage in the middle that's the hardest to get to. It's a big-ass drainage. And those elk funnel into that because that is, I've got pressure around me. I got stuff pushing them to that. Um, you know, there's more things on that. Some of that's natural travel routes. Yeah, but they all kind of get pushed into that area of like no man's land, if you will. Yep. And, and in that, you know, then you, you know, it, it still revolves around water, still revolves around staging areas, still revolves around feed. It has all those attributes of it. Um, yeah. but it's knowing that, you know, that's the other thing too. And, and I, this is a good question to ask and I have it. I don't have an answer for it. Um, I, I, I should, cause I think this is a good one where are the outfitter permits where you're at in colorado dude we got a lot of outfitters so knowing where those permits are directly affects elk and i think that pressure actually eliminates those because i think they shove elk out of those areas and most most permits for colorado those guys are supposed to at least stay within a designated area and so you can almost like take a good chunk of a drainage or something and cross it off the map and say yeah, that's probably not going to be a good spot. It has water, has feet, has all these things, but it also has a full-time outfitter that's on horseback covering lots of country every day. You know, you can immediately cross that off the list and then go the next drainage over. Yeah, and honestly, one of the big scariest thoughts to me, Mark, is like hiring a, uh, a guy in Colorado for a drop camp and knowing that he's got to drop more people off when I'm done, probably same, and he's not going to want to move shit. And he takes you back on horseback and you start to realize like, how do I even know the elk are going to be here when I'm there? And then how the hell am I? I can't really, I'm not mobile anymore. I'm kind of married to this area because all my stuff's at this drop camp. So I know there's exceptions, but for those that maybe booked one this year and you're listening to this and you're panicking, you should, because I think you're setting yourself up for potentially gnashing of the teeth. I don't like the idea of that. And last year, dude, I taught myself, I started like, oh yeah, that's what I'm not following my own advice. I went to this new to me area and I'm like, 
I saw a few trucks and um, I'm like, kind of like, F it, I'm going deep. And I'd like loaded up all my shit the next, the next morning, oh, dark 30 here. I, and I humped it six miles back in, set up a spike camp and stayed back there for three days. Yep. And I only got in on one bull and I wasted a lot of time. And then hiking out one mile almost to my truck, I bumped up to a hundred elk and I ended up killing there and hunting there for the next set. But dude, I walked, I hiked right past all the elk because I thought I had to go deep and I know better. And you can in parts. Um, it's interesting. I'm still pretty deep. Like mm-hmm. with a lot of the areas that I hunt, I, I'm, I'm, and it, it's, it's, you know, hard to draw remote wilderness in Colorado. And it still is about as deep as Colorado can get probably like I'm, <clears throat> I'm a two hour drive to wilderness. Then I'm another three hours on my back before I really now not to say so this is another thing like goes back to the expectation statement are you hunting a elk are you hunting the elk right like word like there's a difference there like there's elk everywhere but and I I say that even when we get an airplane and we scout you know there's there's elk here here and here and there is there's actually elk everywhere but I'm after I like chasing big elk man that that's my thing you know, mm-hmm. I, I've, I have an over the counter tag. I, I don't sweat it. I I'll shoot and put meat in the freezer, but when I've got a decent tag or unit, man, I I'm after the elk. I, I, I want to yeah. kill something that I want to put on the wall for a little while. Not to say that I will, but you know, yeah. I'd like to go for it. So I, I, th- I think too, it goes back to that when guys are coming out, you know, are you, what are you wanting out of your experience? Are you, and, and I, from, from guiding for years, this was always, I told all my hunters right out of the gate, Hey man, don't pass on day one, what you're going to be willing to shoot on day five, because you're going to screw yourself, especially on your first hunt. Like have that in your head. If you're willing to shoot a cow on day five and you got a good shot and a good, like, and it's in front of you, man, that's, that's my advice. Mm. Well, you, do you make most of the calls for native? So I, yeah, I, I do got a fire department buddy that runs call presses for me. We're still doing, we're very much kind of still a custom shop. Um, we're doing a little bit of retail, like Sportsman's Warehouse and like Cal Ranch and stuff. Um, I've tried to split the line a little bit where we have some lower end retail, but then we have the crazy high end stuff too. But but really, man, I, I've been building calls forever. I like building really good stuff. And and I feel like industry-wise, too, that's where it's going. You know, the, the elk category, you know, when I grew up, it was, the business was in the patent era. It's really, everybody had patents on everything and Primo's had theirs and Wayne had his and Rocky was doing this over here. Those days are gone. Like the patent yeah. era is over. So, you know, I bet right now you've seen more development on reads in the last five years than you ever have, you know, and yep. it's just because guys are getting good at it. And I think there's a lot of guys building some really good stuff too. Like I, I don't, it's kind of like bows right now. There, there's a lot of really good bows out there. I, I don't think you can narrow it down to one anymore. Um, and I think calls is the same deal. So we're kind of, I'm kind of digging the, the custom, shop vibe deal that we, we do i like doing you know the high-end acrylics and the burl woods and, and doing some artsy stuff um i like building reeds at hand just because of the nature of diaphragms anyways you know as soon as as soon as you build one it starts changing the dynamics of the call they immediately start breaking down it's a latex perishable item you know they're not going to last forever yeah. fluorescent lights you know in, in a shop degrade latex you know as soon as you yeah. make them and they start going bad so i like building stuff fresh for the most part and getting it out the the, the door to guys. So yeah, we're still building a lot. And, and I think you have to, to, to develop and still be good at w- what you do. I think you still got to run call presses. I think there's a reason oh, yeah. why like 
you know, especially at Worlds, a lot of those guys that are always in Worlds are, because we're on the call presses all the time, man. That's all we do is run reads. Yeah, so show me your bugle tube. Do you have it handy? Yeah, we do. So we did we did a 18-inch tube this year. I, I put off, when we started Native Backup, so we've got like six years. Well, we started 2015, basically, technically. There were so many tube options out there, and there was so much going on. I wanted to wait a minute like a few years and our early fill in that hole. I, I hated it. They, they were crap. <laughs> I pretty much, yeah, I absolutely hated them, but it kind of got us from point A to point B. There were some good things that I learned on that, you know, some of those first efforts just to fill in that hole. But I really, before we spent money on an injection mold, I wanted to wait and see and get a pulse from what guys were doing out there. And I wanted to run, I, I wanted to catch up because honestly, we were behind. As soon as we yeah. sold out to HS, as soon as you go from private to corporate, you start falling back on design and innovation. It's just part of the gig. So I, I wanted some time to catch up. I knew open reads, we were crushing it. I knew I could outbuild everybody out there. But on the diaphragm side, I wanted some time. On the tube side, I wanted some time. So we finally looked at it. And I was like, man, I just want a really good tube that's size that's sized to where I can hunt with the damn thing. Like I, I don't I love the big tubes. They're fun to run. They sound great. <clears throat> they hold fantastic back pressure. But I just hated packing them. So I wanted yeah. something that was more huntable. So we did an eight, 18 inch tube. We 3D printed the heck out of it, trying to find what worked. And we put in a, a full acrylic mouthpiece with it. That's like a trumpet style mouthpiece. Yeah, show the guys that uh, for those that are watching, I'll make this, that is pretty cool. Yeah, we did, especially with doing all the acrylic stuff that we did. I really wanted a nice quality mouthpiece for guys. I thought that was something that was missing. Um, yeah. So that that's a full on, acrylic mouthpiece that we CNC and we stick in that tube. You can run the tube without it, but man, this is a really nice piece to that. I actually don't, Dan, I actually break even on this piece. I don't make any money. I just thought yeah. it was that important to the tube. Yep. So to do the injection mold on this thing was like 30 grand. I, and there's no way I wanted to pay for that. So I was like, cool, man, we'll just keep it acrylic and CNC it. And you know, I just want it to be a good part of that tube. That's one of my favorite parts of your tube. And I like the heat shrink grip thing you got going there. So same, same deal too, right? Like there's some really good tubes out there from, I think everybody's camp right now. So then we looked at, hey, fit and finish. Can we make it a little bit better? Can we make the tube covers last longer? So the fit and finish, like the heat shrink on the handle, that's a really nice tidy package. Um, the mold itself is like two millimeters thick, which is pretty heavy for a tube. It's pretty heavy walled, but it gives it more thump and residence. You don't, you don't have to put a bunch of dampeners and, and such on it because it is just a heavier walled tube. Um, we played with the way that we did that injection mold, like doing blow mold is really hard to get thickness to it. So we actually built it as like a baseball bat and then we just drill out the end of it. So that, that allowed us to build that whole thing thicker throughout the whole product and, and really have a nice solid little piece on that. And then the, and I've been working on HS with this. You remember the old Mac daddy? Is this the thing that you could put the diaphragm raid in and my dad could actually bugle with? Yeah, it just pumps, right? Yes. So yep. I've been visiting with HS about selling us this again and pr providing yeah. reads for it. So this actually will fit right into the end of that. Coincidentally, you we better, have another two. You better explain that. You better explain this to people listening. They're not going to understand what I just said. So you got to tell them what that is. So this, and it's one of those deals like this fell through the cracks, like severely fell through the cracks. This was, and I, I'm- It shouldn't have. It shouldn't have. Um, no. This they did, how long ago did they do this, Dan? I don't know, but I, my dad finally got one and I was like, oh shit, you can actually call now. Like you can call Bullen for me. My dad's a, 
my dad's challenged with his palate. You know what I mean? Using a diaphragm. And a lot of guys are. So they, this thing is just a thumb operated. So you push down on that and there's a diaphragm inside of it that is, you can, when they burn out, you can change it. So this is just a slide in piece. You just jam your thumb down on it, put air to it. And that thing usually runs like a top. Yep. It is stupid easy for guys to use. HS has ignored it because they've kind of lost base with their elk crowd. It's just, yeah. you know, it's just business, right? Those guys just didn't know. Um, but that thing is a sleeper. So I've been visiting with those guys. Actually, we're in talks a little bit right now. We'll see where it goes um, about giving us access, access to that. They still sell that in a smaller configuration, but really what they needed was to update that thing and put it in a decent tube. But that thing will slide right in there. So we're we're still working on on getting permission to work together on that. So I, and I'm I'm trying to. We had some really good years at HS. There was some really good memories there. So you know I'm hoping we can kind of tie those relationships back together. With they seem to be open to. But anyways, yeah. but you can get the tube has a mouthpiece to it, and you can get this like online from HS. You can buy it on Amazon and stab that thing right in there, and mm, be, yeah. be ready to roll. So it, it is available. Well, dude, I think it's cool to like, for me, I'm trying to talk to anybody that's an elk hunter, regardless of, you know, obviously I'm good friends with Jason Phelps, right? Like, and even better friends with Dirk Durham, like, and they make great stuff. You guys make great stuff. And you can tell like for as long as I've elk hunted, I've never been really married to one. Like I've been the guy with the variety pack of stuff to try to make different nuancey sounds and to figure out what works good for me. I haven't used a lot of, I even used to use Primo stuff. Um, in fact, I wish I'd never discovered Primo's no offense, Will, but like I watched the truth videos in 20, 2001 and I thought that's what elk hunting was going to be like on public land. Um, and those bastards lied to me. They didn't quite explain to me what, what, what the deal was. And if you guys are wondering what I'm saying, it's like, yeah, man, like they were on premium ranches and they were, that's why some of that footage is incredible. And then you got, um, those are $20,000 elk hunts today. Yeah. Yeah. Minimum straight up. And Lord knows their will Primos is one of the best marketers you've ever seen. Like he put his money where it needed to go. That was his talent. If, if I give Will credit for anything, that dude was, he knew how to market and run his business. Um, and then it's unfortunate to see like, and I don't want to get into this too much, but like it's, I think Rocky sold, Rocky Jackson sold his company or something. And then like, and now like him and his son are having a falling out and they're like kind of putting it out publicly on socials. And it's just like, oh, that's embarrassing guys. Seriously, figure it out. But, and it's one of those deals. And even, you know, I, <laughs> Cora and I, we've, we've talked a little bit over the years, but not a ton, but we both have that same deal of growing up in the industry. And you don't always want to grow up in the industry, like, because it's a very visual place and it's relationship based. And man, I'm not always proud of the shit I did when I was 20 or 17, or like, I look back on it, man. It's, I mean, there's some, <laughs> there's some stuff you'd rather not, not have been a part of, you know, with, with some things and it's just being young and dumb. And, and I, you know, Corey too. Corey was raised in it. You know, we were always in competition together as youths and, and coming along and, you know, he definitely capitalized and stayed after it, but you know, I don't know. I hope that works out for him. I, he, he definitely earned every bit of elk 101 and, you know, I was, I was proud of the guy and glad to see him do it. So I, I hate to see that they're fighting over probably pretty trivial stuff. And, and we've been like short, man, dude, we've been in our own side of that, you know, with, you know, it, it's, we haven't always had good years with partnerships we've gotten into some scraps and, Man, it's just not worth it. 
Like just, mm -hmm. and, and that's why my attitude is today what it is, man. It's if somebody wants to start a game call business. I'll be the first guy to give you every piece of information I got. Um, that's I cool. Want help, I want to help everybody. It's, it's not, it's like you say, it's too short, man. And, and come on, we're selling nail calls. Like we're not curing cancer, man. We're not saving life. Nothing's on fire. <laughs> like we're just, dude, we're, we're just trying to get people outside to have a better quality of life and experience some different things. It's, it's not, <laughs> come on, man. It's not that big of a deal. We're, we're running around the woods, blowing diaphragms, you know, sounding like running bull elk. Well, dude, I, I love the fact that you're coming on here today. we got to catch up. Honestly, all the stuff we talked about, it's, good to hear from you and what you're up to and um the the maturation and your attitude and just you're you're good people i would say that um it'd be a shame if i didn't give you a little bit of a plug where would you like if guys wanted to buy native by carlton would it be best to go to a big box store or do you guys do direct to consumer go direct consumer go to the website stuff um some of the educational stuff out there too you know we we try to support everybody in there um, you know, and, and today let, let's come up with an order code for any of your listeners that are interested. Let's do like a 35, you know, percent code or something. You, you make it up, you, you make it up and we'll do it. Well, my hopes, man, like long-term is to really be online direct okay. if I can, you know, we, we may keep a retail presence, but it's just chaos out there to try to do that. And I like the custom shop if, if we can do that, you know, it's, I, I think that has some merit. So it's. But yeah, um, come up with an order code. We'll write it down and put it together, and we'll put it in, in play immediately. Okay. Uh, well, we better do that now. Elk, elk shape thirty five. Just do elk shape, so they don't have to even like just lowercase elk shape. That's what they get. And then when does it expire? I'll run it through season, man. Okay. There you guys go. Uh, I'll leave a link to the website. Last thing. Last thing. This is where I got to finish. I hope you have this diaphragm with you in hand because you sent me a gaggle of diaphragms. But one in particular had the coolest type of tape on it, and it was it made a great sound. And I don't remember the name. What what is that? Like I said, everybody's making some really good stuff nowadays. Yeah. Right. Like like and and I think there's a couple of conversations that need to happen. There's two different style reads that guys need to be aware of. So we have the traditional open read stuff, the old school stuff, the turkey stuff. So if guys are familiar with turkey reads, kind of stay in that category. The domed over reeds are pressure, they're back pressure reeds. So we build them with less tension and it matters what tube you pair them with. So mm -hmm. be conscious of that when you're coming in as a consumer buying stuff. If you're already good running a double reed turkey call, dude, just stay with an old traditional type because you're already familiar with it. The elk guys, or if you want to try something new, the domed over things are a better mousetrap in my opinion. Um, they're louder, they're more controllable. Like, like there's some cool stuff going on there. It just hasn't caught on to the turkey world yet, I, and I think. So, what do you call that call? Like, if they go to your website, because I'm, I'm gonna tell you guys right now. For me, that's what I, I loved that sound, and then I paired it with your tube, and I was like, I put it on Instagram, and I got a lot of messages like, dude, that that native one sounded so good, and I was like, first off, thank you. I'm not that good at elk calling. Number two, it's got to be that read. So it's, um, it's the V3 frame is what we're calling it. What's unique about the V3, like, and I think it's very comparable to some of the other ones in the market. What we did unique, it comes in three sizes. So it comes in a small frame, a medium frame, and a large frame. The one I sent you was a medium frame. But sizing is the other big thing. Like when guys want to learn how to, man, you get something that fits first because that makes a huge difference. 
one thing we are doing that nobody else is doing is we've really gotten aggressive on, you know, it kind of goes back to that. Everything's gotten pretty good at it. So now we're splitting hairs and trying to make things better with fit and finish and different options. So we offer two different type tapes. So what you were running, we call call armor and it's a laminated material. There's no taste to it. Um, it lasts for freaking ever. Like it'll last the rest of the read. Um, we've had some guys don't though, you know, we've had some guys still want the old gaff tape. So we still have the gaff tape option, but we also have a call armor option. But, but what you were running was that medium latex on a medium frame with the call armor mm -hmm. tape, those, okay. those three things. So I prefer that read. That's one of my favorites. We also make a lightweight version of that, that I love that thing just screams bloody murder, but we've, and, and I, I kept it simple too, man. Like from a manufacturing standpoint, there's a lot of BS on a product line. Like there's a bunch of diaphragms out there. And I can tell you, especially on the, on the domed over stuff, it is like, there's only a handful of latexes that run really, really well. So we picked out the top three. So every read comes in a lightweight, medium and heavy latex throughout the entire line. So we, we try to keep as many options as we could, but we also try to keep it as simple as, as possible. Mm. But I'm like you, I think that medium, medium frame, I think that one's gonna be the most popular one by Landslide. Since I made that little Instagram post, I got this company called Slayer reaching out. They're like, oh, please try ours. And then another company that I can't remember their name. And I'm like, here's my address. But like, for me, like I work, Phelps has helped me out a lot of my elk shape camps. So I do feel loyal to them, but I also love not being hashtag not sponsored and kind of like, I'm going to freaking I might have a Carlton diaphragm and a Phelps metal tube, or I'll, I'll do whatever gives me the most confidence to locate elk. But I'm telling you right now, I sincerely, I love that diaphragm. That was insane. And I think your tube is a sleeper and i know that mac daddy that we talked about five minutes ago is another sleeper so big things coming um i'm glad that you guys are resurrecting and getting going yeah no it's uh we're finally at a, at a point with the call company i'm really pleased with the product we're, we're making it's taken me seven years to get caught up but yeah. i think we're caught up and then some um mm. but yeah dude I'm, i i like the stuff we're doing so it's i appreciate it all right guys well you heard it here first uh he's gonna run a code i guess 35 percent off retail holy smokes Go to the website. I'll leave a link in the show notes. The discount code will be one word. Elk shape, lowercase, uppercase, don't matter. No numbers behind it. Super simple. He's going to run it through season. Thank you for coming on today, man. Separation's in the preparation, y'all. We'll catch you on the next one. Hope you guys enjoyed the pod. Mark, thank you again sincerely for your time. I wish you best of luck on the in the calling department, uh, getting calls sold and, and working and migrating that way. And I appreciate your service as a firefighter, man. And I got a lot of respect for your hustle. Guys, remember, he's got a discount code for online sales. It's Elk Shape. Takes 35% off if you want to get some calls from them. Do that or whatever. And uh, really, I just want you to kill a big bull this year. Actually, kill any bull. Kill any elk that's legal that's going to make you happy and fill your freezer. Hope you guys are amped as I am. Elk season's just around the corner. We got a bunch of good podcasts coming up the pipelines. So make sure you download them. Here we go. 2023 elk season. We'll catch you on the next one. At the end of every podcast, I'm going to rattle off some discount codes if you're in the market to save some loot. Support the cast. Here we go. Vortex Optics. Go to eurooptic.com. Discount code ELK10 takes 10% off. Vortex wear 20% off any of their apparel. Discount code is ELK Shape. On X Elite Membership. Discount code ELK Shape 20% off. Become an Elite Member. It's a no brainer. Peaks Equip. We're talking gators, tripods, headlamps, shelters, and more to come. Discount code ELK Shape 10% off. MagView. 
digiscoping, 10% off the S1B1 Made in America Lifetime Warranty. Wilderness Athlete discount code is ElkShape2023, 20% off. Look up the ElkShape stacks, link in the show notes. Stealth Cam, 20% off non-cellular. The discount code is ElkShape20. And 10% off cellular, get the disruptor, discount code ElkShape10. Back your e-bike, discount code ElkShape, $300 off. BlackOvis.com, anything under the sun, ElkShape is 10% off, plus free shipping. Sheep Feet, 10% off, discount code ElkShape. Fatty Meat Sticks, 10% off, discount code ElkHunter, all one word. Crossover Symmetry, 20% off. Bulletproof Your Shoulders, discount code ElkShape. And finally, Canvas Cutter, it's what I use, I spend 30 nights a year in. Discount code ElkShape takes 10% off. You guys have a great rest of your week. We'll catch you next week. Take care.